Welcome to Expert Minutes. I'm John Hambone McGuire, and today I'm sitting down for a chat with Claire Pooley. Claire spent 20 years in the heady world of advertising before becoming a full-time mom and then a best-selling author. Her memoir, The Sober Diaries, was published in 2017 to critical acclaim, and now her debut novel, The Authenticity Project, has been published in over 29 territories. So without further ado, a chat with Claire Pooley. Hey, Claire, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. How are you doing? You know I can't complain. Happy to be talking to you this morning. We normally start this off with a universal question, and it's something that everybody who comes on the show has to answer, and that is, what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) You know, I'm not sure I ever will grow up, and I think the reality is I would rather not. Um, I think sort of retaining a sense of childishness is something that is important in life. So I guess the answer to your question is, I don't want to grow up, never. That's a great answer. And I feel the exact same way. I think it's that sense of youth and bewilderness in our hearts that'll keep us smiling forever. And also, you know, keep us on some crazy and fun adventures, right? Exactly, exactly. I think, you know, if if I ever feel tired with life, I look at my kids and I look at what excites them and I look at the adventures that they go on and the adventures they still want to go on. And and that's great inspiration, I think, for all of us. Well, speaking of adventure, you've been on many adventures in your life. You started out with a good 20 years in the heady world of advertising before becoming a full-time mom. And now you're a best-selling author. What was that journey like for you? Oh, well, it was a bit of a roller coaster, to be honest. So, um, you know, I loved advertising. It was a great world to be in back then. You know, I joined advertising at the tail end of the Mad Men era, you know, when it was still all about working hard, playing hard, drinking too much, um, lots of client entertaining. It was great fun. And then I quit when my third child was born because I felt like I was trying to do too many things badly and I wanted to focus on doing one job really well for a bit. But it didn't go quite to plan. So, you know, I ended up drinking way too much as a way of just feeling adult in a world where I was constantly surrounded by kids. And, you know, I'd get to wine o'clock, you know, 6 p.m., the end of the day, and I'd think, oh, I have a nice glass of wine to relax. But that glass of wine turned into two and two turned into three. And my glasses are really big. So that's a whole bottle. And, you know, before I knew it, I was drinking 10 bottles of wine a week, which is way more than the government guidelines suggest. And isn't it funny that the thing that you thought was going to help you unwind and relax would only end up making you more anxious? Yeah, you know what? I realized that all the things I thought alcohol was giving me, it was taking away. And it took me so long to get my head around that. You know, I thought it made me relaxed, but it made me stressed. I thought it helped me to sleep, but it gave me insomnia. You know, I thought it made me a more fun person. And actually, it made me rather difficult to be around. You know, I thought it helped make me a better mum, but it made me a much worse mother. So yeah, it took me quite a long time to get my head around that. And then, you know, when I finally did, I quit. But it took me a while. Could you talk to me a little bit about your aha moment? Yeah. Actually, I published a memoir called The Sober Diaries. And the first page of that book is my aha moment. It was the day after my birthday party one year. It was my 46th birthday party. And I woke up the next day with a terrible hangover and the kids were in the kitchen downstairs making a real racket and I had a terrible headache and I knew that the only thing that would make me feel better would be a little bit more alcohol you know we call it hair of the dog 
And I had this hard and fast rule that I never drank before midday because I thought, oh, well, alcoholics drink in the morning and I'm not an alcoholic and therefore that's not something I will ever do. And it was 11.30, so, you know, I couldn't pour a glass of wine, but I took a mug out of the cupboard so my kids wouldn't know what I was doing and I poured just an inch that was left in the bottle of wine from the night before into that mug and drank it. And I felt a lot better. And then I looked at the mug and on the mug was printed the words, the world's best mum. Oh my gosh. And I was so ashamed of myself that I haven't had a drink since. So it had been building up, getting to that. It had been a long, slow process building up to that moment. But that was the final drink. And it was five and a bit years ago. Well, congrats on that. That's fantastic. Thank you. They always say it is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, as I said, it had been building up for a long time. And I don't think anyone quits drinking who hasn't been, you know, probably trying to moderate their drinking for a long time beforehand. You know, and I spent years trying just to drink less because I didn't want to quit altogether. That wasn't in my life plan. You know, I just wanted to be able to drink sensibly and moderately and it took me a long time to realize I'm not the sort of person that ever does anything sensibly or moderately so I'm very much an all or nothing person and it was easier for me to drink nothing at all than to try and drink just a little bit. So I can tell you from experience I know exactly how that feels. My aha moment came from me getting drunk on a boat which I will never have another drink and also I don't know if I'll ever go on a boat again if I'm being honest. However I will tell you that you know with change comes such new opportunities and you are no stranger to change because before this you had never written a book yeah you know I mean ever since I was a child I've been obsessed with reading and writing and you know if you'd asked me when I was a teenager what I wanted to be when I grew up I would have told you I wanted to be an author I mean that was my big dream but you know, I spent years working too hard, playing too hard, you know, being scared of giving it a go and not achieving that goal. And it just went by the wayside. And then the day I quit drinking, I felt this huge urge to write. And I guess it's because when I was younger, I used to write a diary and I wrote a diary, you know, where I would pour out my love for some prepubescent boy, you know, when I was 11 or, you know, my big dreams and any worries and concerns I had. And I sort of felt the need to do that again. I felt like I had to write down what I was going through. And I was about to start writing a diary again. And then I thought, God, I haven't held a pen and paper properly for so long. You know, it's best if I tried doing this online. And I thought, well, I'll try setting up a blog because that's sort of, you know, the modern way of doing things. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I set up a rudimentary blog. I called it Mummy Was a Secret Drinker. And I just poured everything out into that blog. I wrote every single day. It was a compulsion. It became my new addiction in a way. It was my form of therapy and it was my way of getting my thoughts in order. And so I guess the thing now that brings me the most joy came from that moment of great darkness. And so I am hugely thankful for that awful day in very many ways. So with that... Would you say that there was a certain degree of catharsis that came from your earlier writings? You know, you talked about writing a diary as a young person, and that's generally what the diaries are for when you're a young person. And it's kind of the secrets you don't want others to read. Now you're putting it out there in a blog and just 
finally showing the world, or at least the parts of the world that you want to see it, your stories of your alcoholism? In a way, it was like writing that private diary in that I didn't expect many people to read it. I wrote under a pseudonym, so I called myself Sober Mummy, and I didn't publicize a blog at all. I didn't put it on my social media because I didn't want anyone to know it was me. You know, I didn't shout about it. I just wrote privately, and I wrote as if no one was going to read it. And it took off accidentally. So within a year, it had had over a million hits. It's now had over three million. But that was totally accidental. And it was only two years after I started writing that I finally came out and when I published the book and said, this is my name, this is who I am. You know, now it seems weird to me that I felt such shame. But, you know, I really did. I felt very alone back then. I felt like I was the only person that was struggling the way I was struggling. And I felt hugely ashamed because I thought everyone else could deal with alcohol. Everyone else, you know, was able to drink sensibly. And it was only me that couldn't do that. And I was ashamed. I understand. I do. It's hard because everything when it comes to addiction, that's not alcohol. It's so much more understood when you have to give it up. Mm. And when it's booze, because it's so commonly embraced, I mean, you can't turn on a TV without seeing an alcohol ad. It's suddenly like, oh, are you okay? Like the are you okay question is always like, well, would you be talking to me like this if I was doing something else? Yeah, exactly. And they say that alcohol is the only drug you have to justify not taking. And it's so true, you know, and you think about the conversations that you have with people every day. So, you know, mothers at the school gate will say, oh, I'm dying to get home and pour a glass of wine. You know, you wouldn't say I'm dying to get home to rack up a line of Coke. You know, (laughs) it's just funny. It's a harmful, addictive drug like any other. And yet we treat it completely differently. And when somebody becomes addicted, we blame them and not the drug, which is a really strange situation. But, you know, it makes it very hard for people who decide they want to quit. Talk to me about when you quit. I know that there is a certain degree of apprehension and fear that comes into sharing your newfound sobriety and this new way forward for yourself with the world. And maybe not even so much with the world. I mean, let's kind of bring it in a little tighter. Just even your immediate circle of friends and the people in your life. How did it go for you? You know what? The first few weeks were really hard. And, you know, it took a lot longer to get my head around not drinking, a lot longer than I thought it would. But after about three months, you know, the changes were really miraculous. You know, I found I had more energy. I found I had more enthusiasm. I had lost 28 pounds. I was sleeping like a baby. You know, it changed every aspect of my life. But I still found it very difficult to talk to, you know, the people I was closest to about it. Because, you know, I think unless you've been there, it's really hard to understand. And that's why my blog became so important to me, because, you know, the people who were reading my blog really got it. And I really got what they were going through. And, you know, I would share my experiences with them. And, you know, just little things like, for instance, you know, I used to be paranoid when I went to a shop to buy alcohol that the 
cashier would be judging me <laughs> because they would realize that I'd been in the day before to buy alcohol and they'd be making all sorts of assumptions about me. So I used to rotate the shops I went to to make sure I didn't go to the same shop too often or bump into the same cashier too often. And I confess this in my blog and I had people all over the world going, oh, I do that too, <laughs> you know, or I did that too. It was those people that made me feel less alone, you know, and less strange. And it was those people reading the blog that stopped me falling off the wagon because, you know, I worried that if I started drinking again, that, you know, I would have to confess to it in my blog. And it would mean that other people who were looking at me as a success story, you know, would end up falling off the wagon themselves. And I could imagine this whole sort of series of dominoes going over and and I couldn't do it. You know, weirdly, it was strangers that helped me more than friends through no fault of my friends, just because it's difficult to get it unless you've been there. Let's talk about the next big step. And you actually published a memoir, The Sober Diaries. What was it like taking the plunge going from a blog to actually digging your heels in and writing the book? Oh, you know what? It was terrifying. You know, the writing itself was fine because by then I was in such a routine of writing every day. I was really used to being confessional. I found my voice as a writer and you know, I found writing the memoir was relatively easy and I really enjoyed it. But the idea of publishing it was really frightening. And for several nights before I published it, I had, you know, have you ever had that recurring stress dream where you dream that you're walking down a street completely naked and everybody's pointing at you? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had that dream, you know, every night for about a week because that's what it felt like, you know, sort of telling your deepest, darkest secrets and exposing the worst bits of yourself to you know the world under your real name is a really scary thing to do and it feels like walking you know through a city with no clothes on and I was really terrified about it and I thought that I would get a whole load of trolling and that people would call me all sorts of terrible things and what I discovered is that when you make yourself vulnerable you know when you're really honest about your weaknesses and your bad bits. People are generally really kind, you know, they really appreciate it. And I've had huge amounts of support and, you know, emails and messages and things from people all over the world saying that, you know, me making myself vulnerable helped them feel less alone and showed them that, you know, there was an alternative and there was a way through. And, you know, that makes me really happy. So it was so worth doing. But yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I could totally see that because there is a lot of fear involved with putting yourself out there. And there's a lot of things to overcome when it comes to being a creative who is sharing an aspect that is so personal with the world. Yet, as you've been doing this, you've been consistently kind of leveling up to a place where your second act has been brilliant. And I know that once you finish that book, you actually went and retrained to become a better writer. So can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, well, you know, something else happened, which was, again, both the worst thing that had ever happened to me and in some ways the most transformative thing that had ever happened to me. And I wouldn't say best because... I don't think anyone could talk about cancer being fabulous. But eight months after I quit drinking, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that wasn't entirely coincidental. There 
There's a huge link between alcohol and cancer and particularly breast cancer. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people are unaware of that. And I certainly was until it happened to me. But I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, again, I blogged about it. I had support from people all over the world who read my blog and I will be forever grateful to them. Um, huge number of people in the US as well as in the UK. And I got through it. I came out the other end. And what it made me realize is, you know, we don't necessarily have a huge amount of time. And you sort of have to seize the moment and, you know, take risks and put yourself out there while you can. Because, you know, I'd spent years and years thinking one day I'll write a book, you know, one day I'll write a novel, one day I'll write the story that's been going around in my head and never getting around to it. And, you know, a lot of that was fear of not being able to do it, fear of rejection, fear of failure. And I realised that, you know, the only way you will definitely fail is not to try. And having got through cancer, I sort of felt like I had a sod it button, let's call it, you know, where I just thought, you know, sod it, what's the worst that can happen? I'm not going to die just yet. You know, I might as well give it a go because, you know, nothing is going to be quite as bad as what I've been through. And that was really revelatory to me. For the first time ever, I stopped being scared. You know, when you face your maximum fear and get through the other end you know it makes you feel a bit like a superhero you know you sort of think well I could do that so now what else can I do and yeah and I'm not scared anymore and it's weird it took me nearly 50 years to stop being scared and that's why I you know having published the memoir I did a three-month novel writing course and I started writing that book that I'd always wanted to write and yeah, that took me to where I am today. Which is The Authenticity Project, your latest book. Yeah. And, you know, you think that fiction and nonfiction are very different things. And actually, I've realized, at least in my case, there is a huge amount of overlap because, you know, it was really my own experience that led to the story behind The Authenticity Project, because The Authenticity Project is all about what happens when you share the real truth about your life with a number of strangers, and uh, which is exactly what I myself had done. So you've done battle with addiction. You've done battle with cancer. You have now, later in life, gone on and written two amazing books. What do you see the future as for Claire Pooley? Well, I will definitely carry on writing. I've already written the first draft of the next novel. And, you know, I would do it if I wasn't being paid for it, because to me, it brings such joy. And it's still my way of making sense of the world. So I'm not going to stop writing. But I also, you know, I love getting out there and meeting people you know writing can be quite solitary so you know I love the chance to go out and speak to people I, I did a TED talk about alcohol addiction which is called making sober less shameful and you know I love doing that so again it was terrifying but you know again I've learned that the things that I find most rewarding are the things that scare me the most so I want to carry on doing stuff that scares me and you know and I want to travel a lot more and you know I want to as I said, not grow up. So that's what I'm planning. So very cool. Just a couple more questions before we go. The first question is, what advice would you give to, say, a younger person who is listening to this? Or even, you know what, let's blow the walls out. 
anybody who's listening to this, because as you know, you can make a change at any age. Someone who wants to make a change, find themselves to be a little more authentic and kind of follow that inner voice. What would you recommend? I realize now that I spent so much of my life trying to direct what was going to happen. You know, I wrote lists of what I wanted to achieve, none of which I did often. And, you know, I tried very hard to think about the logical next step and where my life should be going. And when I found real success, it was when I stopped worrying about what I should be doing. And I started worrying about what I had to do you know what I was compelled to do you know and initially that didn't make me any money it wasn't a sort of valid career it was just me writing my heart out to myself but I believe that because it was a passion because it was a compulsion it relatively quickly became you know the most successful career I've had so I guess my advice would be think about what makes your heart sing and if you can follow that and try and make that part of your career, if not your whole career, then you will never feel like you're really working. You know, if you can make money doing something that you would do, even if nobody was paying you, that is the real life goal, I believe. That's amazing. And Claire, where can people find you on the internet? Sadly, I spend far too much time on social media. (laughs) So once an addict, always an addict. So you can find me on Twitter. I'm at cpooleywriter. You can find me on Instagram at Claire underscore Pooley. And you can find me on Facebook where I have a page called Sober Mummy, which uh, where I share all sorts of stuff about alcohol addiction. So those are the main places you can find me. Well, Claire, thank you so much for sharing your time with me this morning. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. Thanks again to Claire for coming on the show today. And thank you, dear listener, for checking out another episode of Expert Minutes. I'm John Hambone McGuire. And remember, if your day job isn't your dream job, keep hustling. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.